In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Have you ever thought how strange it is that uh, Christians take as their logo, their symbol, a cross? On the one hand, uh, and, and maybe on the one extreme, um, the cross is nothing but a bloody mess, and, and it was a bloody mess. But that's not all it was. On the other extreme, um, the cross is dear to us. It's a sign of love. It's a symbol of hope. It's a symbol of the conquering of evil, the victory. But, but maybe we cozy up to the cross, right? So, in one sense, you've got on one extreme, uh, Christians are just all about the blood. They sing about the blood. They drink the blood. It's all about the blood, right? That's, that's kind of creepy. <laughs> on the other extreme, you've almost got like this Disney-fied kind of cross, sentimentalized. Um, you know how the Christian tradition has talked about the cross of Christ for all these years? They've called it beautiful. Beautiful. Now, beauty is neither just darkness or just sentimentalized good feeling, right? When something is beautiful, it may be pretty, it may not be pretty, but it certainly has depth and meaning, profundity. Listen to how St. Augustine talked about Jesus many, many years ago. Christ, St. Augustine wrote, is everywhere beautiful. Christ is beautiful in the hands of His parents. That's at the Nativity. Christ is beautiful in His miracles, beautiful in His scourging, beautiful in giving up His Spirit, beautiful in carrying the cross, beautiful on the cross, beautiful in heaven. St. Augustine In our gospel today, Mark invites us to gaze anew at the cross of Christ and see there the epitome of beauty, the epitome of beauty. Let me give you three ways from Mark chapter 8, 31 and following that the cross is beautiful. I'll give them to you all at once, and then we'll work through them real briefly together. First, the cross is beautiful because it shows us the power of God, the upside-down power of God. may not seem that way, but hang with me. First, the cross is beautiful. It shows us God's power. But second, it also shows us God's passionate love for all of humanity. It's not just a sign of power. It's a sign of love. It shows us God's passion. Finally, the cross is beautiful because it shows us God's pattern for redeeming the whole world. God's plan of salvation for the whole world is the cross. So, take out your Scripture, follow along with me, Mark chapter 8, 31 and following. We'll start at the very top of the passage. First, the cross is beautiful because it shows us the power of God. Notice in the passage, who is it that Jesus says will suffer? Who must suffer? The Son of whom? The Son of Man. Now, listen, what you need to know about the Son of Man is 
This is a technical term, a technical title for God's anointed one in the Old Testament, specifically in the book of Daniel, if you want to do some research. But from Mark's gospel, here's what you need to know about the Son of Man. He is the last figure in all of the universe that anyone would expect to endure suffering. The Son of Man is an Old Testament figure that sits beside the Ancient of Days, Yahweh Himself. The Son of Man reigns with God over Israel's enemies. The Son of Man is almighty. He is powerful. He's the last figure you would ever think of enduring suffering. This is why Peter rebukes Jesus when Jesus talks about the Son of Man must suffer. Does that make sense? He can't, he's offended by it. Peter's offended. I, I imagine all the disciples were. The idea that the Son of Man from the Old Testament, whom they knew well, that He would be the one to suffer, is the last person ever that you would think would suffer. It's almost like, it's almost like God is saying in Jesus in Mark 8, until you see me on the cross, you have not seen me. Think about it. The God of heaven and earth, the Son of Man, the victor, the chosen one, saying, until you see me hanging on the cross for the sake of the world, you have not fully seen me. So let me ask you, what if you were God? What would you do with your power? What would you do with your power? What do you think the God of all power is like? Is he like the mythic gods of Greece and Rome, smiting peoples at whim, sending floods, meddling in the lives of humans just for the fun of it, just to annoy us? Is that what God does with his power? Is that the creator of the universe? The Bible altogether, specifically now in Mark, answers the question, no, that's not what God does with his power. He gives it up. He gives his power up. Today in Mark's gospel, Jesus wants you and I to take another, a fresh look at who God is and how he shows the world his power. Contrary, perhaps, to popular belief, God must, in the Son of Man, suffer. The Son of Man must suffer. And this is why the cross is beautiful to us. It's a kind of power that we have never seen before. What would you do with your power? What does God do with his power? This is why the cross is beautiful. Here's the second reason. The cross doesn't just show us God's upside-down power. It shows us God's passionate love for all humanity. Listen, scholars say in, in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus is not just presented as the Son of Man, one Old Testament figure. He's also presented as the suffering servant, all right? Son of Man, suffering servant. You can read about the suffering servant in Isaiah. You know about the suffering servant because listen to this passage. You'll be, it will be familiar to you. This is a passage about the suffering servant from Isaiah. Jesus fulfills it. Surely, in Isaiah we read, he has borne our griefs, remember this, and carried our sorrows. 
Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that made us whole, and with his stripes we are healed. Jesus is not just the Son of Man, the mighty one who will suffer. He is legitimately the suffering servant who sacrificially gives himself for his people. What kind of love is this? Have you ever known this kind of love? This is beauty. This is sacrifice. The cross shows God bearing the griefs of humanity, carrying our sorrows, absolving in His Son all of the world's transgressions and iniquities. So this is why, friend, when we make the sign of the cross, this right here, it's not just an empty ritual. It's a symbol of staggering beauty. Perhaps the most beautiful sign in all of creation, because in this sign is the story of the creator of the universe out of passionate love for his creation, giving himself as the suffering servant. When you wake up in the morning and make the sign of the cross, when you are afraid and make the sign of the cross, when you behold a crucifix, do you realize what a picture of love it is for you, for you? The cross is beautiful because it shows us not just God's power, but His love for us, unconditional love. Here's the third reason the cross is beautiful for Mark 8. It shows us God's pattern for redeeming the world. Notice Jesus says it's not just that the Son of Man, that He must suffer, it's also that we will follow His lead. I love how Eugene Peterson interprets this passage. He, he does it this way. Calling the crowd to join His disciples, Jesus said, listen, anyone who intends to come after me has to let me lead. Okay, what does that mean? You're not in the driver's seat, Jesus says. I am. Don't run from suffering, embrace it. Don't run from suffering, Christian, embrace it. Follow me and I will show you how. To which God's people respond, oh, I don't know if I want to know that lesson or not. Follow me, Jesus says, I will show you how to suffer. No, thank you. In a sense, Jesus says this, you must join me on the cross in displaying God's power and passion and pattern to the world. You must join me. This is how the world will see my power and my passion and my pattern for redemption. They'll see it in your marriage when your marriage is with me on the cross. They'll see it in your uh, career goals when your career goals are on the cross with me. They'll see it in your financial hopes and dreams when those two are on the cross with me. Listen, in a sense, our God uh, gave up everything. He lost everything that we could live as a people with nothing left to lose. God lost everything that we could live as a people with nothing left to lose. Nothing left to lose in marriage. So you might as well lose the argument for the sake of another, which I don't do well. Nothing left to lose in your hopes and dreams of career and job and vocation. 
So you might as well serve the Lord. Nothing left to lose. It doesn't matter anyways because Jesus died and rose for you. Sure, pursue goals, dreams, hopes, desires, but let them pale in comparison to taking up your cross and following Jesus because you have nothing to lose here and only heaven to gain. God lost everything that we could be a people with nothing left to lose. That's the pattern of redemption for the world. Put your marriage, put your job, put your hopes and dreams on the cross with Jesus. This is the pattern of redemption. Lent is the time that we as Christians practice this taking up our cross. Uh, this is a time when, as my friend uh, Joe Novenson says from Tennessee, this is a time that we learn as Christians to look at the whole world cross-eyed, to look at the whole world cross-eyed. Through the lens of the cross, how do you see God? How do you see His power? How do you see His love? How do you see your job, your marriage, your singleness, your hopes, your dreams? Do you see them through the lens of the cross? That's what Lent teaches us to do. I want to I leave you with one final picture of beauty. The cross is beautiful in its power and its passionate love as it shows us the passionate love of God and in its pattern. But it's not always pretty, is it? A few years back, the Hoyts, a father and son uh, marathon team, they ran their 32nd and final Boston Marathon together. Father and son. They, they have completed over a thousand uh, races together and they've done something like six Ironman competitions now, if you were to see a video of the Hoyts, father and son, doing these races and competitions together, you would see something I believe you'd never forget, an image of beauty you would never forget. I think the first thing you would see is probably the brokenness of Rick Hoyt's body. Rick is the son, and he suffers from cerebral palsy. So you would see loss, great loss, depicted in a young man who will never know what it's like to run or swim or bike. When you see Rick's body, I'll tell you this, it's not pretty. Uh, it's very hard to look at. It's hard to take it in. He's in a wheelchair, most of the races being towed along by his dad. And that's the second thing you'd see. You would see Rick's dad behind him, pushing the wheelchair on all the races. You'd see him in front, uh, towing him along as he swims. You'd see him uh, towing Rick in his wheelchair behind during the bikes, during the bike races. So right after you see the brokenness of Rick's body, you would see the beauty of his dad's heroic sacrificial love. In all of that darkness, in all of that sadness, in all of that weakness, in all of that pain, it's not nice, pretty, or clean, but I will tell you this, it is staggeringly beautiful because a father's love shines. A father's love in that image shines. This Lenten season 
May we see in the cross of Christ as we gaze upon it, as we meditate upon it, as we follow its stations around the cathedral, may we see the beauty of our God and the beauty of our redemption in His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.